Architects on occasion become household names. Engineers usually don't, but without engineers, of course, a building can't become a reality. It can't make the leap from being a design on paper to an actual physical standing structure. Uh, And with that in mind, it's remarkable how few of us have ever heard of the name of Peter Rice. He is the Irish engineer behind many of the 20th century's most stunning buildings all around the world, including the Pompidou Centre in Paris, Lloyd's in London and the Sydney Opera House. He died in 1992, aged only 57, but he is undoubtedly one of the most important Irish figures of architectural history. And to tell us all about him, it is Donald Fallon with another edition of Hidden Histories. Afternoon, Donald. It's good to be here. And congratulations to you. A new chapter in Irish radio broadcasting history. Thank you. No pressure. That means now if I mess up, it's actually my fault and I can't just offload it on someone else. So let's let's play that down. Um, Architecture is all around us, but so is is engineering. And and we often miss it. I mean, from the building we're sitting in, you know, to, to stunning pieces of art, architecture, it can be functional, it can be aesthetically pleasing. And it makes its presence felt in our, in our day-to-day lives, arguably, you know, in a way that nothing else does. But, you know, what is a building on paper? And, you know, when you take something, any architectural project to completion, that involves the work and the intellect and the passion of hundreds, if not thousands, of men and women. You know, mm. from planners to those who lay the bricks, every beam, every bolt is moved into place by someone. And I think nobody really is as important to any architectural project uh, as its engineer. And this man today, Peter, I'm ashamed to say I hadn't heard of Peter Rice. No, nor had I. And a friend of mine, Dunnick O'Leary, said, look, this is someone you must do on this slot. And he's right. I mean, this is an engineer whose work includes the Sydney Opera House, the Pompidou Centre, Lloyds of London, additions to Stansted Airport and more besides. And I mean, this man died in his 50s. Uh, in the early 1990s and that makes the output I just think all the more remarkable and as we said at the beginning in that introduction history generally remembers the architects and forgets the men and women I suppose who who make these things a reality Yeah Uh, and you mentioned that given that he managed to to pack all of that in before he died at 57 he must have had a pretty swift youthful rise He came to prominence at a very young age born June 1935 in Dublin though we can't really claim him as a Dubliner you know he's a proud loud man synonymous with Dundalk and 52 Castle Road in Dundalk and you know he studies at Queen's University, London's Imperial College. But by the second half of his 20s, he's already making quite an impact in the world of kind of architectural uh, engineering. And he's working on the, the, the roof of the Sydney Opera House. And if you've ever seen that building, I mean, the design of that building mm. is absolutely stunning. Mm. And it's a recognised World Heritage Site uh, by UNESCO. But it was a nightmare to make it a, uh, to make it a reality. The brilliant architect, John Hudson, worked on the building. But, you know, it was this loud man who succeeded in kind of working out the geometry uh, for the design. And at the age of 28, 20, I mean, I'm 29, 28 years of age. You're 29. I'm 29. <laughs> he was in charge. It's weird when of, I'm in a studio and I made feel like the oldest person in I the know, room at 32. I know, I know. People always stop me and say, you're not 29, but I am no. 29. One man says, the last time you saw 29 was on the back of a bus. We actually <laughs> am 29. Well, he was 28 and he was in charge of this great project. The, the primary engineer was a guy called Ian McKenzie. He yeah. fell ill. And this kind of 28-year-old has to put on his shoulders. And that's some break. I mean, if you're going to get a break into the world of engineering, the roof of the Sydney Opera House is is as good as it comes. And I mean, it's hard to disagree. One architectural authority has said that it is one of the great iconic buildings of the 20th century, an image of great beauty that has become known throughout the world, a symbol for not only a city, but a whole country and a continent. And it's a Dundalk man who figured it all out. And obviously having got his break there, though, you could just ride the wave after that. But it seems that for, for all of the luck that he had, that Peter Rice didn't just, you know, try to ride the wave, that he did actually go 
and try yeah, to I learn it, more and more. That's the sign of a great intellectual, you know, someone that just keeps pushing and keeps pushing and believes you never reach that, you know, that, that perfection. And in the aftermath of Sydney, he went on this great period of study going to the United States and trying to learn, you know, the latest in his, in his profession. And he writes about it very beautifully later. He says, I would like to study the application of pure mathematics to engineering problems. I think that a more thorough understanding of the nature of equations used to solve structural problems in design could lead to a better condition solution and to a better choice of structural components. So he goes on this great journey across the United States and he becomes this really you know, emerging figure. He says, before Sydney, I had a very primitive appreciation of architecture. Life in rural Ireland in the 1950s had given few clues as to what it was all about. So I came to the experience innocently, like blotting paper, what a beautiful way of words, like mm. blotting paper, ready to absorb any information which came my way. And that journey brought him across continents. But it's staggering that the, that journey was all kicked off by something as complex as the Sydney Opera House because most people would think right that's your magnum opus you're done now if you've managed to figure that out you're, you're fine. You might start with a swimming pool in Dundalk perhaps you know, yeah. you and, and, and maybe just take baby steps but he decided no he'd start out with that one and then see where it went uh, and then of course he is responsible as you said for the Pompidou Centre in Paris Isn't as well. Isn't it stunning? Have you, seen it with, have you seen it with your own eyes? Done, it's, yes. it's just absolutely beautiful it came out of a government competition and it's one of the most visually interesting structures in a city that really is defined by kind of architectural genius and when you walk through the streets of Paris it's so striking the way the centuries and the civilizations just kind of sit on top of each other mm. you know and this is just stunning it's an expressionist in style and if you ever walk through it I mean research centres galleries archives auditoriums and when they entered the competition to design it he was kind of philosophical he said that as we set thinking we realised that a good reason for entering architectural competitions is not to win them but to explore relationships with and design of course you hope to win particularly when it's an open competition there were 687 entries in it the set out to win in a sense is self-defeating because it will induce a conservative and tentative approach and the principal factor will not be to offend which is very very true yeah. so anyone who's visited that building I think is struck by the, the contrast between its internal and external appearances yeah. and his team developed the material that enabled this kind of beautiful counterbalancing if you will the weight of the building with this beautiful light tubing so it lightens the external appearance totally and utterly If no one is familiar with the Pompidou Centre in Paris it's well worth having a quick Google of as is uh, Lloyd's of London which is another one which uh, people wouldn't necessarily mm. recognise but it's an extraordinary building and another one that Peter yeah, Rice was my, responsible My second favourite London building uh, after the Barbican and it, you know it's recognised for its structural genius and hi historic England they say that it is universal universally recognised as one of the key buildings of the modern epoch. And the architect he worked with, Richard Rogers, I mean, it was a 14-storey building. They brought it to reality, completed in 1986, became a grade one listed building in 2011. I mean, that is the youngest building to ever obtain wow. that status. And if you haven't seen it at first hand, it, it's mad looking. You know, it's got these three main towers, three service towers, built around the central kind of rectangular shape. And it manages to be very busy when you look at it and also very, very clean. I mean, it, it just, it's, it's an it's a, it's a era-defining piece but, but of But that being uh, completed in 1986, but there's still a Georgian gem nestled in the middle of Which it too. Which is mad. I mean, it's so modern. And then when you get into it, there's these hidden secrets. And they've got this beautiful wood-panelled room, the Council of Lloyds use it, from 1763. And I remember thinking, how in the name of God hmm. does a room from 1763 end up in a building from 1986? It's a dining room of Bowood House which is a great Georgian home in England and they brought it to Lloyd's piece by piece so dismantle the whole so thing dismantle the whole in. thing and wow. piece by piece reassemble it in this beautiful modern building and Rogers the architect I mean with Peter Rice they were a perfect perfect team because he understood that you know buildings that look they're, they're, they're forward facing you know it's not only mm. about what happens inside a building mm. but it's how they fit into their landscape and he says they're not 
idiosyncratic private institutions. They give public performances both to the user and the passerby. And the architect's responsibility must go beyond the client's programme into the broader public realm. In other words, how will this building sit in the skyline of London? And the answer in the case of Lloyd's is very beautifully indeed. Uh, By the way, 22nd tangent, talking about things being disassembled and then put back in exactly the same way. You know that once upon a time they tried to disassemble Downing Street because it was structurally very rickety and they said they're going to take it down brick by brick and clean it and they discovered in disassembling it that the building that we all now know to be kind of a blackish grey yes. charcoal colour was yellow and that it had been stained to nearly black by the centuries of soot wow. and then they had to think about are they going to clean it or not and they said you know what actually people have become <laughs> accustomed to the kind of the grey face so we better leave it at that and that's the reason why it's grey but it's actually yellow anyway tangent over you have um, schooled the historians in history well, that, that's, <laughs> my, that's my, my notch on the belt for today um, another Peter Rice work uh, which people would not expect again because of the relative youth of it the Louvre yeah the beautiful inverted pyramid uh, of the Louvre gallery in Paris that's another kind of great engineering mystery mm. uh, that he that he. Saw. So, you know, if you travel the continent of Europe and you visit all these must-see sites, you could actually find yourself encountering Rice's work time and time again, totally uh, unknowingly. And it spans continents, but I think the tragedy of this all is, I mean, his rise was so meteoric. I mean, for a 28-year-old to work on the roof of the Sydney Opera House is mm. just extraordinary. But then, I mean, his death, the manner it comes about in the early 1990s, is, is so sudden. He's diagnosed with a brain tumour uh, in 1991, dies the following year, only 57 years of age. And it's hard not to look at the output of this man and wonder, my God, you know, what else could he, what yeah. else could he have done? Uh, the one thing though that he did leave behind him, aside from that incredible body of work, that portfolio, was something of a, a manifesto did, of sorts he, as well. Knowing that was at the door, he wrote a very beautiful book called An Engineer Imagines in the last year of his life. And it's kind of memoir, but it's also a call to arms, you know, for beautiful, well-considered uh, engineering. And the point he always makes is, he says, I'm not an architect. And, you know, people refer to him as an architect. I'm not an architect, I'm an engineer. But these two worlds meet, he argues, and they have an obligation to each other. And the obituaries that were written about him, I mean, praise was just heaped on him as someone that had lived kind of largely in the shadows of very celebrated buildings. Mm. And I mean, the independent, I think one of the finest uh, obituaries I've ever read, they talked about how Rice was the James Joyce of structural engineering. Wow, there's, there's his, a comparison. What a way up with words. His poetic invention, his ability to turn accepted ideas on their head and his rigorous mathematical and philosophical logic made him both one of the most sought after engineers of our time and an inspiration to the legions of young engineers who followed in his wake a tireless and most informal chatterbox he was able to disarm the most pompous client and to win over the shyest student as good in obituary as anyone has ever received so then what would you say you know with all of that portfolio and that manifesto what do you think is his legacy well he was someone that cared about ideas and moving forward and development and I think the finest legacy to him then is the Peter Rice Silver Medal which is given out by DKIT in his hometown of Dundalk to engineering students so how do you remember great minds I would argue Mm. you know you, you push on in the field that, that they loved uh, also a, a lovely documentary which takes its name from his memoir uh, An Engineer Imagines but I think as I said his greatest legacy is the built landscape you know, these are structures that will stand the test of time fashion may change style may change but the buildings Peter Rice worked on are immortal Yeah, and that innovation will survive long after any of he or you or I are around uh, Donald as ever fabulous stuff thanks so much Donald Fallon is the author of the Come Here To Me blog and books volume 2 is an all good bookshops and indeed some rubbish ones as well right now for sale now.